Welcome to the Kenosha City Church Podcast. Hear the message of new life and hope as we learn about the death and resurrection of Jesus. Enjoy the message. Have you ever had an expectation in your life where things just did not turn out the way that you thought they would turn out? I remember in particular, I was just going back through all these different kind of expectations in my life, and I really landed on this one story. I don't know why, but it's, it's, uh, it's one that just sits in my mind. Before I was a lead pastor, I was a youth pastor. And one of our students, they needed a car. They didn't have a car. They couldn't get from point A to point B. It was affecting their job. And so I, of course, went online to look for used clunkers. Now, you parents, get that first car for your kid. It doesn't matter if it's really nice or not. You just need something to go from point A to point B. And so I found this car in Lake County. I began to just chat with the person online. Like, hey, is this clunker that's $1,200, is it available? And what are they going to tell you on the chat? It was all caps, oh yes, it's available, but you better get down here now because it's so busy and so many people are looking at this car. And of course, that raised my expectation level. Like if I don't act on this now, somebody's gonna get this car and, and we're not gonna be able to get it. So we jumped in the car, I, me and the, and the high school student, he, he and I went into the car, we drove down uh, 30 minutes in 20 minutes, don't do the math, okay, I know I need to confess that later or maybe I should still confess it, but somehow we got there quick and we arrived uh, at the car dealership, and then we tore into the car dealership. We got out of the car. We ran in, and I ran in like I just ran the Boston Marathon. And I'm like, we have come all the way from Kenosha for that car. And the lady looked at me absolutely confused. And then I was a bit confused because I realized there was no crowd. This place was absolutely dead. It was deader than a Kmart. And I realized, I think I've been had. So I held up the picture because I printed it out. Of course, I'm like, where is this car? And the lady behind the counter is like, I don't know what you're talking about. And finally behind one of the desks, aha, you're the one I talked to online. I'm like, yes, where's the car? And he looked at it and he's like, follow me. And so myself and the student, we walked through the parking lot. And I'm going to tell you, as we were walking through the parking lot, he walked us through all the new cars. He's like, take a look at this new Bronco. Take a look at this new excursion. And I was like, okay, that's really nice, but where is the $1,200 car? And finally, after about a two-minute walk, we ended at the very edge behind the dumpsters, the car. And it was a piece of junk, so much rust. Trash in the back seat from the floor all the way to the top. And he's like, are you sure you want to try it? I was like, we didn't come all the way down here not to try it. Let's, let's give it a spin. And it's like, this is disgusting, right? And so he tries to turn it over one time, two times. It took him five times to turn this over. And finally, when he turned the car over, it sounded louder than a Harley Davidson with awesome custom pipes. But this car was anything but awesome. I was watching the rust fall to the ground. He looked at me turned off the car and he said, sir, I cannot sell you this car in good conscience. Well, what was I to do? I was expecting to buy this car. He said, well, I'll tell you what I can do. There's cars this way that you just walked through. I'm sure that we can get you into one of these with a wonderful payment plan. And I was walking towards the cars and I was beginning to do the payment plan on a high schooler's budget. Okay, 600 months, all right. I think we can get this paid off. But then I came to my senses, wait a minute. This is a big bait and switch. I've come down here to expect to get something cheap from A to B, and you're trying to put me into something that will be financial ruin. Expectations. They'll drive you to do many things. And my expectation was that I better get this car now. It's going to be busy. i got to be frantic. i got to do it now. I had urgency because I was expectant that we had to do this thing now. Whether it's correct or not, expectations 
expectations uh, push you to certain behaviors. Maybe it's an expectation of your job or, or getting a job promotion. Maybe it's an expectation of that tax return that you just turned in. And maybe you've already spent the money and then you realize, uh-oh, I spent too much money and I'm not getting as much back. Maybe you have an expectation in your marriage or it's not going away that you thought it was going to go. Maybe you had an expectation for your kids. You threw them in all those sports, those extracurricular activities. And as they got towards the end of high school, they said they didn't like it. You're like, what do you mean you didn't like it? I, we spent all this money, bought all this equipment. We expect you to go to college and we expect you to get that scholarship. But they want to go into something completely different than what you had expected them to be or to do. You see, what we expect will drive our behavior. What we expect will drive our urgency. What we expect is what we will invest in, whether it's true or not. And this is completely true this morning, wherever you're at in this room, with what you believe about God. What you believe he can do and what you believe what he cannot do. If you think God is completely in control, no matter what circumstance you find yourself in, you will believe that God can get you through that situation. If you believe that God's word, the Bible, is totally his word, you'll believe that being obedient to every aspect of the Bible is totally important. If you believe that Jesus is coming back and he can come back at any moment, then you'll believe that your life and how you're living it right now is absolutely important. If you believe that Jesus died on the cross all for your sins, he paid for every single one of your sins, past, present, and future. If you believe that, then guess what? You will be here today not trying to work yourself to God, but you'll be here today living a life of sacrifice and worship because of what God did through Jesus Christ, who's fully God. You see, what you expect will drive your behavior. In fact, this is our main idea this morning as we unpack this further, is that what you expect is what you embrace. What you expect is what you embrace. What do you expect about God this morning? What do you expect he can do in your life? What do you expect because of the resurrection? What do you expect that means for your life? And what do you think the closest followers of Jesus, what do you think they expected on Easter Sunday, on the very first resurrection Sunday? You see, when Jesus died on the cross and rose from the dead, the disciples should not have been in the dark of what was going on. Jesus was absolutely clear what was going to happen. In fact, Jesus, after he fed the 4,000, uh, Jesus predicted uh, his death and resurrection in detail. In fact, uh, let me read this to you. Matthew 16, 21 says this. Right after the 4,000 were fed, uh, Jesus began to point out to his disciples that it was necessary for him to go to Jerusalem, suffer many things from the elders, chief of priests and scribes, be killed and raised on the third day. Very clear, right? It was so clear, Peter understood it. Peter didn't like it. Matthew chapter 16, 22, let me read this to you. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Oh no, Lord, this will never happen to you. I mean, Peter was completely confused. He's the Messiah. He's supposed to be the Savior. He's supposed to be this triumphant king coming in to Israel. And then all of a sudden, Jesus is like, now nah, I'm going to die on a cross. I'm going to raise from the dead. Peter's like, no, 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 this is not my idea of what a Messiah is all about. So he began to rebuke Jesus because he clearly understood what Jesus was saying. And so Jesus turned and told Peter, get behind me, Satan. You're a hindrance to me because you're not thinking about God's concerns, but human concerns. Jesus' response to Peter was, well, he called him Satan, all right? And really, that's what he's saying is, is that you're not doing the will of God by asking Jesus not to go to the cross. You're actually spouting out the will of Satan. So in Peter's mind, there's no way a Messiah could be killed and then be resurrected. He didn't understand the purposes of God. Another time, Jesus was very clear about what he was going to do was just prior to his death and resurrection. We see this in Luke chapter 18, verse 31. Let me read this one to you. 
Then he took the 12 aside and told them, See, we are going to Jerusalem. Everything that's written through the prophets about the Son of Man will be accomplished. For he will be handed over to the Gentiles. He'll be mocked, insulted, spit on. And after they flog him, they will kill him. And he'll raise on the third day. Very, very clear. The disciples should have understood from the moment that Jesus was betrayed, when he went to the cross, and when he went to the tomb, what should have happened on Resurrection Sunday. They would soon see this unfold the following Good Friday and Sunday thereafter after Jesus predicted this. Jesus is clear. So if he was clear, where do you expect the disciples to be on that Sunday morning? Where would you expect them to be? And this is a part of the story, if you've been in the church world or you grew up as a kid and you began to hear Easter every year, this is a part of the story you could absolutely miss. You see, on Resurrection Sunday, where would you expect them to be? Well, if I'd never heard this before, maybe this is the first time you're hearing this out of the Bible, wouldn't you expect them to be at the tomb? I mean, I imagine the disciples are outside the tomb like, look, Peter, the stone is beginning to roar. The stone is beginning to roll. Oh, look, Peter, there's Jesus coming out of the grave. And they had their instruments ready, right? They had already eaten their, 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 their pastries in the morning, you know. There's a sunrise service. They began to worship like we did this morning, like, he's arisen. Up from the grave he arose. Yes, he's here. But that's not what happened. That's not what happened. This is actually what happened. On the first Easter morning, this is what happened. Mark chapter 16, verse 1. When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James at Salome, brought spices so that they could go anoint him. Very early in the morning, on the first day of the week, they went to the tomb at sunrise. So the first day of the week is Sunday, sunrise, about 6 a.m. They are saying to one another, who will roll away the stone from the entrance to the tomb for us? And looking up, they noticed that the stone, which was very large, had been rolled away. So the scene, actually, what we see here in this passage, starts actually at 6 p.m. the previous night. Uh, the women are in the marketplace. The marketplaces would begin to open up as the Sabbath ends uh, in, in Middle Eastern culture. Uh, the day actually ends the night before at sunset. So at sunset, the, the shops began to open. And the women immediately thought, we need to buy spices so that we can anoint the body of Jesus so that it doesn't smell when it decomposes. In Jewish culture, they didn't, they didn't practice embalming, but rather spices were used so that the smell of a decomposing body uh, would not overcome the people around the tomb. And so we see here they went the first thing in the morning so that they can anoint his dead body. Now, even though they heard the promises of Jesus very, very clearly of his death and resurrection, I believe the trauma of people insulting Jesus, spitting at Jesus, mocking Jesus, and even putting him on the cross to where they witnessed him dying, it, it, it created such fog in their minds that they began to forget about every promise that Jesus had given them prior. And seeing Jesus die and then be buried caused them to waver. You see, when you, even in our lives, we can, I think, connect with this, when you endure collective or individual trauma, uh, your perception and expectation of the way things that they should be are altered. If you have faced a hardship in your life, whether it be your family or finances or your job or, or just about your health, anything, the foundations of your very life can be shaken. And it's these foundations of your life, it could be what you think of family, what you think of this world, even what you think about God can be shaken. And if you don't believe in God, if you're facing this morning, you may be in here, you're checking these things out. Maybe grandma said, you're coming to church this morning, you're not having brunch. I know some of you are in here, okay, all right, that's cool. We're glad you're here, but here's the deal. 
even if you don't believe in God this morning, it may be, it just may be that you don't believe because you have a number of examples in life like why did this happen? And it's those moments of hardship, it's those moments of trauma that shake the very foundations of what we perceive. The women were confused. They went to the tomb not to anoint a risen savior but a corpse. The women went to the tomb. But my question is this, where are the men? Where are they at? They weren't at the tomb. We got to give the women some credit. They went to the tomb, right? Where were the men? They're sleeping in. They were at home. They didn't even go to the tomb. After Jesus was betrayed, the disciples scattered. Even Peter, who explicitly said he would never deny Christ, he denied Christ three times. There was only one disciple who made it to the crucifixion, and it was John. But all of the disciples on Easter Sunday were locked behind a door and afraid of their futures. It's not, it's not exactly the examples of faith that sometimes we purport on Easter Sunday. And many of you today, you may resonate this. We all come from different places in life. Every single one of us has a unique story. Every single one of us it was created by God. You're not here by accident. You're not in this very room by accident. But we all have very different stories and backgrounds. And some of us were living in a season of faith and expectation of the things of God. You're, you're here this morning. You can't wait to be here. Some of you, you, you believe in God, but there have been things in your life, whether it be recently, in the last few months, or maybe even the last few years, where it's just like, man, I just feel stagnant my faith. And there are some of you here today you're like, man, I just don't know. I don't know. But no matter where you're at, I would like you to consider Jesus and the prospect of the empty tomb. And I hope that your expectations can be elevated in what God can do in your life. Because it's not the strength of your faith that saves you. Let me, let me say that again. It is not the strength of your faith that saves you, but the person of whom you place your faith in, and that's Jesus Christ. It's not about your works. It's not about how good you are. It's about how good Jesus is and placing your full faith and trust in him alone. So notice what happened to everyone on, East, on the first Easter. They were filled with disbelief and dismay. And because of that, their expectations of what God was going to do through Jesus was very, very low. What you expect is what you embrace. I mean, we're going to see three things this morning of what you expect, what you embrace. It's the first thing that we're going to see this morning uh, with the disciples and actually with every single one of us is this, is that disbelief precedes belief. Disbelief preceded belief in the disciples, but for you, disbelief precedes belief. I mean, think about this statement for a second. Whether you're still trying to figure out where Jesus is at or you go to church every week or somewhere in between, there is a moment in your life where you did not believe. There was, you, you weren't born into belief. Some of us think like, oh, I just always believed. No, you didn't. Or some of you are like, well, you know, I was born into Christianity. Or I was born into a relationship with Jesus because my grandma placed her faith and trust in Jesus. So if my grandma did it, I guess I did it. That's not how it works. You see, belief is a personal thing. Belief is something that you have to declare and that you have to point towards Jesus and say, Jesus, I place my faith and trust in you alone. Nobody else can do it for you. I can't do it for you. Your grandma can't do it for you. Your spouse can't do it for you. Your kid can't do it for you. And your parents, you can't do it for your kids. It is a personal declaration that you must commit to. We aren't born into believing. Belief is a personal decision. We all come from a time of unbelief. But then for many, there came a time when you heard about Jesus Christ, and you placed your faith and trust in him alone. And for some, you will do that today. So for some of you, 
You don't know where you're at with Christ. For some of you, you're unsure that you're going to heaven. If Jesus Christ were to come back today, would you be 100% certain you'd go to heaven? I want you to know that today you can make 100% certain that you're good with God. Some of you are going to make that decision today to make it personal. To move from disbelief to saving faith, it has nothing to do with your background, even what you did this morning. It has nothing to do with your good works. It has everything to do with what Jesus Christ has already accomplished on the cross. And he, and he validated that by the resurrection, and that's why we celebrate, because without the resurrection, oh man, we would be pitied this morning, right? This should just be a, a raw, raw pep rally. This isn't a raw, raw pep rally. This is a declaration of things to come. This is a declaration that Jesus Christ has made all things new. This is a declaration that your sin, that those things that encompass you from your past can be forgiven right now. But disbelief preceded belief. The disciples who watched the crucifixion said this after they witnessed the risen Jesus. But before the disciples believed the resurrection, they were filled with disbelief, and that lended them to a status quo. You see, the, the disciples, they did believe. But before their belief, their belief was wavering. Before their belief, there was disbelief. But disbelief, I want you to know this, it's been seen as just like this virtue today, to have this, to live in a perpetual world of doubt and disbelief. I want you to know disbelief doesn't lead uh, to great things. Disbelief leads to status quo. Matthew chapter 28, verse 5. The angel told the women... Do not be afraid, because I know you're looking for Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he has risen, just as he said. Come and see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples, he has risen from the dead. Indeed, he is going ahead of you to Galilee. You will see him there. Listen, I have told you. You see, the women, they could have just as much heard the promises and said, we're, we're not buying the spices. We're going to the tomb, and we're going to see him come out of that grave. Well, guess what? They were lingering in their disbelief. They saw so many hard things that their disbelief allowed them to do what they would have done with anybody else who would have died. Anybody else who would have died in this era, they would have gotten spices, they would have anointed the body so it would not smell, and they did the same thing with the body of Christ. They just lingered in their status quo. Man, that's what happens, right? When we're not living a life of faith and belief, you will find yourself in status quo land in your entire life. You'll find yourself going back to the very things that you thought you were delivered from. But we see here, as they go to the tomb, an angel shows up and says, do not be afraid. And this is the typical response to what we see with angelic visitations in Scripture. Oftentimes people are doing their thing or sometimes they're not living in faith. And the, you would think like maybe the angels or maybe even uh, Jesus himself, he'd be like, shame on you. Didn't you know I was gonna raise from the dead? No, but rather, no, he's always comforting. I want you to know that. If you find yourself in a, a, a spirit of disbelief, your faith is wavering this morning, Jesus isn't pointing his finger at you saying, how dare you? He's waving his hand in like this and saying, come to me who are weary and I will give you rest. Do not be afraid. Fear. That's what the women were feeling, but they were comforted. They were comforted with the words, Jesus is not here. And I can imagine when they saw the tomb was empty and they said, Jesus is not here, the, the women's jaws were just like this. Whoa, he actually did what he said he was going to do. Jesus has risen. And you know, in the tradition of the church now, when people say he has risen, people say he has risen Indeed, right? But that's not what we see in Scripture. He says, he has risen just as he said, right? 
Another way of saying it in a modern way, hey, Jesus is risen because he said so, all right? Jesus' promise has been fulfilled, and they immediately invite the women to see the empty tomb. And not only just the empty tomb, they invited the women to tell the disciples, but not only just tell the disciples, he was going to give them proof. By the way, on your way, you are going to see Jesus in Galilee. Go and see him. It's not just that the tomb's empty. You can actually go and see the resurrected Jesus. You know, Jesus claimed very clearly in his ministry on earth who he was and who he's not. Jesus was not just some manly Messiah. What Jesus clearly said he is, he's the God-man. He had come to save the sins of the world. He had come to do what no man or what no earthly religion can do. Jesus said in John 14, 6, very clearly, he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. That's Jesus. Jesus is very clear he's not a way. Jesus is very clear that he's not just some inspiration. Without Jesus, we are bankrupt. Without Jesus, we are without hope. Without Jesus this morning, we would stand completely defeated. You see, if Jesus' claims are correct, if he indeed is the Savior of the world, if he's correct... He must resurrect. And the big news was not that there was an empty tomb. The biggest news isn't that there was an empty tomb. You see, the biggest news is because of the empty tomb, Jesus is alive. You can empty a tomb, but only God can raise the dead. Amen? Verse 8, so quickly, they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy. And they ran to tell the disciples the news. Just then Jesus met them and said, greetings. They came up and took hold of his feet and worshiped him. And then Jesus told them, do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to leave for Galilee and they will see me there. So they went to the tomb down, dejected in fear. But now they're leaving the tomb and what the Bible says, great joy. Joy that just filled their hearts with hope and expectation. And we see in verse 9, Jesus met them and said, greetings, and they came, hold, they came up to him and took hold of him, and the first worship service of Easter commenced in some random road on the way to talk to the disciples. But as they went to the disciples, we see here, the disciples still lingered in their disbelief. You see, disbelief will lead you to status quo, and if you linger in disbelief, it will lead to scoffing. Luke chapter 24, verse 11 but these words seemed like nonsense to them, and they did not believe the women. But Peter, however, got up and ran to the tomb. When he stooped to look in, he saw only the linen cloths, so he went away amazed at what had happened. And so when the disciples, when they first heard the story of, of the women, I'm sure they were just ecstatic, like, the tomb was empty, uh, we saw an angel, uh, he said he, he was risen from the dead, and then we saw Jesus. And you can imagine, Peter's like, you know, John's probably like, huh? But the rest of them are like this. Psh, yeah, right. We saw what happened. It was not anywhere near what we thought was going to happen. Enough with your wise tales. We are done. We're done believing any of that. I imagine one of the disciples, he may have said, oh, yeah? Huh, what if you went to the wrong grave? All right, we're done with this. We're done with this stuff, all right? I bet you went to the wrong grave. Well, the scriptures tell us that not only did they go to the right grave, but they saw when Jesus was being buried by Joseph of Arimathea. The women got to the wrong tomb. All the Jewish people had to do is go to the right tomb and produce the body. I could hear another disciple saying, oh yeah, okay, you went to the grave. Somebody probably stole it, okay? Someone probably stole the body. Enough of your tales, we're done. 
But for someone to steal the body, first off, that, that stone was over a ton. And there was, it was guarded by Roman guards. And if they, someone stole that body, those Roman guards are going to die with their lives, right? Uh, and, and the Jewish people, they would not steal the body because that would just, uh, that would just make the story of the resurrection all the more real. Uh, they want to squash it, not make it something even bigger to put fuel on it. You see, the tomb is empty. They didn't go to the wrong tomb. No one stole the body. Jesus died and was laid in the tomb. And three days later, he rose from the dead. And they saw him. And Jesus had risen. It's just what he said. But scoffing and negativity doesn't care about the facts. Doesn't care about the facts. And we, this is something that we can, you know, it gets real close to home, right? And maybe it's your workplace. Maybe it's your family. Maybe it's your friends. You know, scoffing and negativity can spread throughout entire groups. And the disciples, they were not immune. So let this serve as a warning to you and I this morning. If negativity and scoffing took hold on the very people that walked with Jesus and heard his promises each and every day, you better believe that scoffing and negativity could take hold in our hearts this morning. A recent study by the University of Indiana, I love it when they spend a ton of money on what I'm about to tell you, okay? I wish they'd hire me instead, or maybe you. We could probably come up with this, but... Here we go. A recent study by the University of Indiana found that negative opinions influence the attitudes of people and that they feel worse after hearing them. Seriously, you spend a million bucks to know that if we listen to negative and negativity, we're not going to feel better? That's one of those duh, you know, reports, right? But it proves this point that I think we can miss. A negative spirit is not neutral. It's a killer. The study goes on, it says that those who previously had positive attitudes when they're around negativity were susceptible to be influenced by the negative opinions. The study goes on, moreover, when people had the opportunity to interact face-to-face -face with those that had negative opinions, the more likely they were to strengthen their own negative attitude as well. Negativity breeds negativity, that breeds negativity, that shares negativity, that believes negativity, and that's why the very disciples were beginning to make arguments that later atheists would make. The disciples had a few glass half full people in the mix. And some of the disciples were probably like, yeah, we're just done. But thank the Lord for Peter. Thank the Lord for John. We're like, you know what? Okay, you guys can doubt all you want, but I, I, I believed all these promises. I heard all these things. Can't we at least take a risk, go outside this locked door and go down the tomb and look? And that's what Peter did. He went down to the tomb and he looked. And it was empty. Some of us need to do that this morning. We're being held hostage with negative thinkers in our life. People that have no vision or trust for what God has for you. Maybe no vision for what the resurrection means for your life. And you know how to break these chains in life? Stop feeling like a victim and run to Jesus and live in your victory. Amen? You can break the chains this morning of your addictions. You can break the chains this morning of your anger. You can break the chains this morning of, of, of a root of bitterness. You can break the chains this morning of thinking that God can't use you. You can break the chains this morning that you don't believe that Jesus can save you because these things in your past are too great. When you run to Jesus, you stop thinking yourself as a victim who has lost and you can jump into the victory of Jesus Christ and live in his victory every single day and I want you to know you're thinking of the exception right now you're thinking oh I know that the victory can be experienced in this person's life but you don't know what I did Jesus knows what you did he went to the cross he saw it and he said it is finished 
It is finished. You break the chains through Jesus Christ. And when you run to him, he will receive you. You break these chains, you're set free, not by, by your works, but by everything he did on the cross. Peter ran to the tomb and he was amazed. He found the linen, found the linen neatly folded. Jesus folded it neatly. And the tomb was empty. And Jesus had risen just as he said he would. An empty tomb demands a response. It challenges disbelief. An empty tomb should challenge each one of our beliefs right now and how we're living our life. You see, again, disbelief is not a virtue. Our virtue is won on the cross and was vindicated by the empty grave of Jesus Christ. So whereas disbelief lends to status quo, where it leads to scoffing, a challenged disbelief leads to a new perspective. John chapter 20, verse 19. When it was evening on the first day, the disciples were gathered together with the doors locked because they feared the Jews. Jesus came, stood among them, and said, Peace be with you. Having said this, he showed them his hands and his side, so the disciples rejoiced when they saw the Lord. So it's evening. It's Easter evening. It's beyond the lunch. It's beyond the brunch. It's beyond the Easter nap, right? We are in the evening, and the, and the disciples are still locked up in the room. And Jesus is like, okay, they're not going to come look for me in Galilee. I'll go to them. And so Jesus went to them. I love it. In some of the passages, he just walks right through the wall. I love it. But anyway, so the disciples, they weren't in the streets proclaiming the victory of Easter. They were still scared, living in fear. So Jesus shows up not to chastise them, but to draw them in. The tomb is empty, and now they saw the risen Savior. They saw his scars, his wounds. And the disciples rejoiced and worshiped because their challenged disbelief gave them a new perspective. And they realized every single promise that Jesus had spoken, every single promise the prophets before Jesus had spoken has been fulfilled. And this is where many of us are at today. We know the tomb is empty, but the fear of this world is not making us live any different than if we knew Jesus. You see, the fear of this world is is blunting the celebration that you can have not only outwardly, but inwardly. So let Jesus in this morning. Let him in the places that you have not let Jesus in before. Let him in. He is risen. He's coming back. And until then, we will celebrate him, live for him, and know this. Your life has eternal purposes for him to live through you. You know, some people say, Man, I would just follow Jesus if I could just see him. I've said that before, right? I, I just wish I could see him, right? I, my, my kids are like, Daddy, where's Jesus? And I asked my kids this. I've said this before, but my five-year-old, he just he still thinks that I have to correct his bad theology. I was like, I was like, hey, Graham, where's Jesus? He's at the church. Okay, no, he's here, all right? <laughs> Jesus is with you. You see, he ascended into heaven. But he told his disciples, it is better that he goes. Why? Because he's coming back. And during this time, and we're in a series that we'll get into after Easter and Revelation. We're going to talk about the second coming of Jesus. Uh, But until then, we have a mission. To let people know about the love of Jesus Christ. That is our mission. Every single one of us is put on mission. It's not about the professional. Not because I'm wearing a suit coat, by the way. For those of you who don't know this, this is a rarity, all right? So... 
It's not about having the collar. It's not about that you've gone through classes. If you know Jesus Christ in a personal way, you've been anointed, you've been appointed to live the mission of Jesus Christ through you. You don't have to come up with a new mission. You plagiarize the mission of Jesus. He said, go to the nations. Uh, you also have to be as a conduit of the Holy Spirit. It doesn't mean that you are like, oh man, I'm just, I'm just so good. I got all these talents. It's not about that. It's not about performance. It's about Jesus doing his miraculous work through you. You are a conduit of his miracles. And Jesus said it's better that he goes. Why? Because he's going to send his Holy Spirit to live in you. When you place your faith and trust in Jesus, you are given the Holy Spirit. And man, I'm going to tell you, when you get the Holy Spirit, you realize, man, I can tell you God is real. The, the scriptures become alive. When you pray, it becomes powerful. When you realize that you begin to see a world, not just in the, the, the material, oh, I'm here today and gone tomorrow world, you realize this is eternal living. The Holy Spirit comes to live in you to live naturally supernatural lives. Receive Jesus. Let Jesus revive you this morning. You see, faith doesn't require you to have all your proofs figured out for you to prove things. Proof, by the way, there are plenty of proofs. Plenty of proofs of, of Jesus. But what faith does require is this. A decision. A decision. Are you going to give your life personally to Jesus? You see, what you expect is what you embrace Disbelief precedes belief. All of us were in that spot of disbelief. But what Jesus is trying to do and what he, what he was doing with the disciples, what he was doing with each and every one of us, he's, he's drawing us in. He's not doing this saying, how dare you, you're not good enough. He's saying, because we have fallen short, he loved us so much he went to the cross and he's drawing us in. So disbelief preceded belief, but here's the thing, belief leads to confession. Jesus walked the earth 40 days after his resurrection and by the time he went back up to heaven, 500 people had saw him alive. And just a few months after his ascension to heaven, there were tens of thousands of new people that gave their life personally to Jesus. Tens of thousands. These people were willing to give up their way of life, be, to be imprisoned, some people killed. Why? Because they knew the resurrection meant everything for their life. 1 Corinthians 15.3 we see the early church, this is what they, they, they put their stake in the ground for everything. Paul's writing to the Corinthian church, he says this, For I passed on to you as most important what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. Then he appeared to over five Hundred brothers and sisters at one time. Most of them are still alive. That's so key, right? Because people wanted to hear meeting Jesus. People could go talk to them. But some have fallen asleep. Some have died. Then he appeared to James. Then to all the apostles. Last of all, also born at the wrong time. He also appeared to me. In a Roman court, you only needed two witnesses for it to be admissible in the court. And what we see here is over 500 witnesses that saw the risen Jesus. Now, some people, some, some people that don't believe, they say, well, they're just all having a group hallucination. Uh, okay, a hallucination is actually a personal experience. If people are on hallucinogenics or they're, they're hallucinating because of a, maybe of a mental illness, nobody has a spontaneous group hallucination where it's all the same. It's all singular. 
And so these people, 500 people, weren't having a hallucination that Jesus all showed up. If there was 500 witnesses, you better believe that Jesus was actually there. He was buried. He was raised on the third day. Peter says that he saw him, then the 12. But most of all, whom we see here is the last of all is Paul. Paul was somebody who was met by Jesus on the Damascus Road. He saw a vision of Jesus. He was, a, he was a murderer of Christians in the early church. And God body slammed him to the ground. And he said, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And out came a conversion, the belief that led to confession that indeed Jesus is the son of God. And Paul gave his life from being a murderer of Christians to leading people to become fully devoted followers of Christ. Jesus has died for our sins. The grave is empty, but everything rises and falls on the resurrection. Paul goes on, 1 Corinthians 15, 12. Now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how could some say there is no resurrection of the dead? If there's no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our proclamation is in vain. And so is your faith. Moreover, we are found to be false witnesses about God because we have testified wrongly about God that he has raised up from Christ, whom he did not raise up if, in fact, the dead are not raised. And if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is worthless and you're still in your sins. Those then who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If we have put our hope in Christ for this life only, we should be pitied more than anyone. That's what it means if Jesus Christ did not resurrect. We are to be most pity. Our faith is in vain, but that's not the end of the story. 1 Corinthians 15, 20, but as it is, Christ has been raised from the dead. Amen, church? The first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. The grave is empty. And if the grave is empty, then the expectation is this, is Jesus is alive, Jesus is coming back, and Jesus wants to know you personally this morning. Jesus is alive and coming back. He wants to know you personally. But what's your expectation? His expectation is this, that you come to know him personally. God loved you so much that when he didn't have to do this, but he did it because he's full of love and mercy. He came to this earth 2,000 years ago to do what we could not do or any earthly religion could do. And that is make us right with our maker. Jesus Christ, fully God and fully man, went to the cross to stand in our place so that we may be right with him. It's decision time, church. For some of you, you've placed your faith and trust in Jesus. And today, God wants you to be reminded of just the beauty of the cross and the beauty of the resurrection so that you live in the beauty of the gospel every single day. Disbelief precedes belief. Belief leads to confession, but here's the final part. Confession leads to salvation. So where do you stand? This is a question I want you to answer. Everybody in this room answer this. Where do you stand with God? Don't assume for a second. This is something personal. You need to surrender to him to receive it. If you have a personal, personally made Jesus Christ your Savior, rejoice. But if you have not made Jesus Christ your Savior, if you're not personally asked him to save you, if you have not placed your full faith and trust in what he did on the cross and his resurrection, Today's the day to receive. Here's how you receive Jesus. Listen up. For some of you, you're like, man, I, I don't even know what I'm doing here this morning. You're here because God knew you'd be here this morning and he wants to hear how you can receive. Receive Jesus. This is how you do it. John 3, 16. For God so loved the world in this way. He gave his one and only son 
so that everyone who believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. Romans 3.23 says this, for all, all means you, all means me, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. There's nothing that we can do in ourselves uh, to receive Jesus. We've all fallen short. Romans 6.23 says this, for the wages of sin is death. Because we've all fallen short, our lot in life is spiritual death. But here's the good news. But the gift of God, that is eternal life, in Christ Jesus our Lord. We've all fallen short. We all experience spiritual death. But Jesus Christ has come with a remedy. It's himself. Romans 5.8. But God proves his own love for us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. I love this passage because it proves to us that Jesus doesn't wait for us to clean up and get our act right. He went to the cross when we were at our lowest. He went to the cross knowing that whatever we have occurred in our life, he's going to pay for it. While we were yet sinners, we wanted nothing to do with him, yet he died for us. Romans 10, 9. This is how you receive. If you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Now, let's pause here for a second. Keep that up there. Let's pause here for a second. You know what this means? It's not about works. It's not walking the grandma across the street, even though we should walk grandmas across the street. It's not about if you're baptized or not. It's not about if you went through catechism or some kind of class. It's not about those things. I hear people say, you know, I'm good with God. Well, I did a class when I was 12 years old. No, 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 no. It's not about a class, it's about a cross. This is how you receive. Anybody and everybody, it does not mean your background. It means if you're ready to receive this morning, you're, you're ready to say, Jesus, I'm in. You know what? He's gonna forgive you. You can, you can throw all the qualifiers that you want. Jesus knows them already. He paid for them. If you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord. Lord means master. And believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. You, let's say it together, church, you will be saved. Romans 10, 13. For if everyone, everyone say everyone. For if everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. What's it mean to call on the name of the Lord? It's like when you put, it's like when you put in a phone call. It's like when you're texting somebody. Start talking to them. That's what that means. Anybody who talks to the Lord and said, Lord, I need you. Lord, I want you to come into my life. Lord, I, I, I believe you. I place my faith and trust in you alone. I believe that you died on the cross for my sins. I believe that you rose from the dead. I want you in my life, Lord. I am saying I'm in. And you know what this says? You will be saved. No asterisk, right? Uh, there's no, well, maybe. Uh, and I have people walk around like, I just don't know if I'm going to. You can know. You can know. You can know that you have a relationship with Jesus Christ. So this is what we're going to do. For those of you that have a relationship with Jesus Christ, this is going to be a moment to rejoice. We're going to close off with a worship song, and we're going we're to give Jesus our highest praise because he is worthy of our praise. But I'm going to give every single person in this room the opportunity. If you've never personally placed your faith and trust in Jesus, if you're uncertain, you personally place your faith and trust in Jesus, this is your day. Just call out to him right now. Just silently. You can do it audibly too if you want. But silently just saying, Jesus, I need you in my life. Jesus, I, I place my faith and trust in you alone. Jesus, I believe you rose from the dead. Jesus, I want you to save me and forgive me. Are you just tell him that right now? Let's pray. So Father, I pray in this room today that we would all experience 
the resurrected life. That we would all know you personally as Savior. As we continue to pray, with every head bowed and eyes closed, in this room this morning, if you're like, you know what, that's me. I need to make sure of it, or I, I want to place my faith and trust in Jesus. If that's you, with no one looking around, if you're like, today, I want to place my faith and trust in Jesus. Today, I want to make certain of it. Today, on Easter Sunday, 2022, this is the day I'm saying, Jesus, forgive me. Jesus, be my Savior. Jesus, I'm in. With every head's bowed and eyes closed, no one looking around, if that's you, you want Jesus in your life this morning, you want to place your faith and trust in him alone, just raise that hand up high on the count of three. One, two, three. Raise those hands up high. Say, yes, I see you, I see you, I see you, I see you. I see you, I see you. Anybody else? I see you back there. Awesome. Hands up all across this room. For those of you that are saying yes to Jesus this morning, as an entire church, we're just going to pray this together. This prayer doesn't save you. This prayer is just helping you communicate to God, to Jesus Christ, who has saved you. All right? Let's pray together, church. Lord Jesus, thank you for making me. Thank you I'm not a mistake. Thank you that you've given me purpose. But I realize I've done wrong in my life. There's things I'm ashamed of. And I realize there's nothing I can do to be right with you. But thank you for Jesus, who has paid it all. I've placed my faith and trust in you alone. Thank you for dying on the cross. Thank you for raising from the dead. Now help me live a life of surrender to you. Jesus name. Thanks again for listening to this week's episode. If you would like to know more about Kenosha City Church, then check us out online at kenosha.church or on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube at Kenosha City Church. Lastly, if you enjoyed this episode, we encourage you to follow us so that you never have to miss an episode. At Kenosha City Church, we are not perfect people, but real people being made new through Jesus.